Shabbat Shalom. For those of you who are invested in the subtleties of sartorial identity, my late grandfather is as fascinating a case study as can be found. An Orthodox rabbi who served his congregation in Glasgow, Scotland with distinction until his death in 1972, my grandfather devoted a lifetime of energy and enthusiasm in service to the Jewish tradition and the Jewish people. Given his passions and life work, it probably comes as no surprise to any of you that a photograph of him sits on my desk at home. And yet when I look at the picture of him, it is the way he is dressed as a rabbi that I find to be the most remarkable, wearing what today we would consider to be the vestments of a Christian clergyman, a cleric's collar, a bib, a black clerical robe and gaiters, the traditional dress for priests and bishops of the Anglican church. It wasn't just the way he was dressed that was modeled after his Gentile contemporaries. He was always clean shaven. He always spoke in an unaccented Queen's English. My grandfather belonged to a generation of mid-century anglicized Orthodox rabbis. He wasn't referred to as rabbi, but as reverend, and his last name, Cosgrove, which you may have noticed is also mine, is a change from Kozlovsky. His doctorate, a reflection of his erudition, was also a credential sought by a generation of Jews who understood that doctorate to be a ticket of admittance into high British society the Reverend Dr. I.K. Cosgrove, a Freemason at that. A prouder Jew you couldn't find as a congregational leader, as senior Jewish chaplain to the armed forces during World War II, my grandfather represented our people to the world and the concerns of the Jewish people were woven into the very fiber of his being. And yet, were you to be sitting next to him on a bus, you would have absolutely no idea that he was Jewish, never mind a rabbi. Throughout his life, in fact, I'm told that people would often mistake him as a priest. Outward facing, as it may be, clothing reveals more about our inner selves than we would care to admit. As many cultural theorists have noted, woven into our choices of dress are a host of unspoken statements about class, geography, marital status, politics, and otherwise. Be it Mahatma Gandhi's public adoption of homespun khadi and loincloth as a rejection of Western values and solidarity with the peasantry, the henna ritual that precedes a Persian wedding, or the decision of some people to wear maize and blue on certain fall Saturdays, there's nothing incidental about these markers of identity. As Jews were intuitively attuned to this fact, commanded in the Bible to wear a talit, the four-cornered prayer shawl, to remind us of God's commandments, the strimals, kapodas, and kittles of the Hasidic community, putting on or not a yarmulke, a shadal, or a necklace with a mug and David. There was a time not too long ago when to sit on the spima on the holidays, men were required, and back then it was only men, to wear top hats and tails. 
These are all markers of identity, statements of our own self-understanding, statements of how society understands us. There were times, like in the 16th century of Poland, when Jews were required to wear distinctive clothing, just as there were times, like Tsarist Russia in the 1850s, when Jews were banned from wearing distinctive clothing. Sometimes the norms are imposed on us. Sometimes the norms are self-imposed, choices we make to assert who we are, either in resistance to or accommodation of the society in which we live. Either way, these are all cultural cues, signals of belonging, signals of differentiation. Are we seeking to blend in or are we seeking to be distinct? It may not always be conscious, but it's never casual. As the song goes, we are what we wear and how we dress. Now, I have no direct knowledge of Abraham's sartorial choices. A photograph, unfortunately, does not exist. But if the rabbinic imagination is to be believed, I think he would be outfitted as a rebellious bad boy of his day. Black leather jacket, dark sunglasses, bowery boots, and maybe a snakeskin silver cuff to match his swagger. Abraham wasn't the first Jew, just the first Jew. He was the first iconoclast of the biblical tradition. Adam had been thrown out of the garden. Cain struggled with his inner demons. Noah went with the crowd. Only with Abraham do we have our very first rebel. Lech lecha, go forth from your native land, from your birthplace, from your father's hand to the land that I will show you. The drama of Abraham's journey was never just about geography. It was a break with his birthplace, from his family of origin, from all that had come before. The rabbis go to great length to embellish the revolutionary nature of Abraham's identity. How, in working in his father's idol shop, he came to realize the folly of worshiping statues, so he smashed them all. At risk of stating the obvious, it's actually what the word iconoclast means, a smasher of idols. In his faith, in his lineage, in his land, Abraham stood out. He never conformed to the norm. He never did what was popular. He broke with his father. He argued with God. He stood up to the inhabitants of the land, and he saved his nephew Lot on more than one occasion. What is the meaning, the rabbis ask, of Abraham being called Ha'ivri? The word Ivri comes from the same root as Ever, as in the other side. The whole world stood on one side and Abraham on the other. And ever since we tell ourselves, this is what it means to be a Jew, to be unafraid, to look different, to be unafraid, to believe different, unafraid to act, speak, or sound different, to be yourself in a world trying to make you something else. By a certain telling, the founding definition of what it means to be a Jew, to be a descendant of Abraham. Of all of the ways to frame conversations around Jewish identity, it's this question, the question of maintaining difference, even as we live within our broader society, that has defined our past and continues to be debated today, not just in the clothes we wear, though that's a fun and visible means to do so, but in the language, music, architecture, thought, theology, and otherwise. The notion that Jews, Abraham-like, have always stood out as nonconformists, like all myths, says more about those who tell it than it does about the actual truth of what happened. 
The great Jewish thinker Philo wrote in Greek. Maimonides wrote in Arabic. They were influenced by the thought of their day. Be it a toga or turban, they looked, I imagine, indistinguishable from the populations in which they live. Like my grandfather, their devotion to their people wasn't measured according to the degree to which they did or didn't differentiate themselves in language or dress. And as replete as rabbinic literature is with prohibitions against following the aesthetics of general culture, in Hebrew, chukat hagoyim, Jewish history contains a multitude of examples of Jews integrating elements of non-Jewish culture into Jewish life and living. It was a great historian and late chancellor of the Jewish Theological Seminary, Gershon Cohen of blessed memory, who pointed out that our names, our music, our poetry, our practices, and sometimes even our doctrines come by way of assimilating non-Jewish elements into Jewish life. It's a little jarring, I admit, to realize that a beloved musical composition like Hatikva is derived from a 16th century Italian song, or that present-day Hasidic dress is ironically borrowed from 17th century dress of Polish gentry. And while there has been some, like the early 19th century Chatam Sofer, who held that a Jew, in order to remain whole, Shalem, must resist the names, language, dress, and otherwise of non-Jews, others, like Cohen, have maintained that it's a very infusion of these non-Jewish elements into Judaism that has enabled our faith to be transformed and revitalized. In Cohen's words, assimilation properly channeled and exploited can be a blessing. And like most great questions, the question of how one can maintain Jewish difference as we live in a non-Jewish world is a question that has no one answer. For every example arguing one way, there exists a counter argument to make the opposite point, a dialectic and debate that's not going anywhere anytime soon. And yet like most questions, more interesting than tracing how it's played out through Jewish history is to conduct an audit of how it plays out in our own lives. Do you embrace the blessing of being a Jew? Or are you a cultural conformist? One does not need to be an idol-smashing Abraham, but we should all be able to identify those rhythms, behaviors, aesthetics, and values that set you apart as a Jew or a Jewish family. If someone were to walk into your home, think about it, would they know it to be a Jewish one? If they were to open up your cupboard, is there anything Jewish about that cupboard? If they were to check the browsing history on your computer or see the books that sit on your bedside, would they sense you to be connected to the story of the Jewish people? Were you to lay out your calendar, the cycle of your week, is there anything in it that distinguishes it from a non-Jewish one? Were someone to look at your bank statement, would your philanthropic history signal a commitment to the Jewish future? Judaism is an all-encompassing religion. The spheres in which you differentiate yourself may be different than those of someone else. Again, we don't need to be like Abraham, but we do all need to identify the Abrahamic impulse in our lives. The year is still young. We should seek to create those times, those practices, those choices that remind us and remind the world that life is just too short and too precious 
to blend into the faceless crowd of humanity. No different than my children remind me all the time, be yourself, because everyone else is taken. So too, today I remind you, be a Jew, stay true to yourself, and fulfill God's charge to Abraham. Lech lecha, literally, go forth. But as interpreted by the Ishbitzer Rebbe, go forth to find your authentic self, to learn who it is you are meant to be. Isn't that, in the end, the ultimate fashion statement? Authenticity? After all, the real question is not whether we as Jews maintain difference, but whether we as Jews make a difference. Proud, but never parochial. Fashionable, but never conforming. A rebel with the greatest cause of all, to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Shabbat Shalom.